Hey, sports fans, Greg Medford from Medford Ive, MKT USA, and my company here in Phoenix, Arizona, doing the Greg Medford Show, so welcome aboard. Uh, I hope you guys, uh, if you're not on iTunes, um, you know you can find us there. If you're not on Spotify, you know you can find us there. You can find us over on Rumble, and Rumble's where I really do my, when I have guests on who get talking about the election and all, all their doubts about the election, we put that stuff on Rumble because they don't take it down. Uh, and of course, you can find uh, all of our uh, benign stuff that doesn't get too controversial. You can find that on YouTube. We've got a guest in today. It's been really interesting the last couple of years as we've watched one leg of the American milk stool collapse. We have the populace. We have the people we've rescinded a little bit of our liberty to so that they can be the ruling class. And then we have the people who are spoke to, supposed to speak truth to power who have abdicated their responsibility to the press. And since the press are not neutral players, since the press are not arbiters of truth anymore, since they are basically a propaganda arm of one group of our body politic, it's the behest has fallen on citizen soldiers, just like in 1776. And I'm too old, too fat, too ugly, and too mean, and too smart to go fight for a country anymore. But there's still a fight to be had, and it's the truth. And we still have to fight for what's right. And every generation has to earn this republic. We don't, we get it given to us and then we have to earn it. And people forget that. And uh, for those of you who served and were veterans, uh, you have a sense of that maybe, or you got a sense by the time you got out, or you, you beat yourself on the chest with your fist after you got out and you have that sense of service. But our service doesn't end. And that's my message to everybody over the next couple of years as we talk. Our service doesn't end. It's just the beginning. And when you can't carry an M4 or an M16, you can't kick down doors and shoot bad guys for your country or bring gas to guys who do, then what you have to do is speak truth to power. And yet speak truth to everybody. And what you'll find is it pisses off your in-laws. It upsets your friends. It upsets your friends' wives even more. But you have to do it. And it's worth doing. And you will cull the herd and you will convert people. But you have to keep doing it. Because as I, uh, I think of Jordan Peterson and he talks about being agreeable, it is not, it does not serve you to be agreeable. It serves us all to be slightly disagreeable and agitating because then we have to resolve things and work things out and we have to think and we have to change and be uncomfortable and that's okay. So that's part of this whole process. It's a zeitgeist behind the show. I appreciate you guys stopping in wherever you're watching from. And today, we have the pleasure of bringing in one of the candidates for the Arizona governorship that's coming up. I believe uh, the primary is in August, August 2nd. right? August 2nd. So August 2nd of this year, we've got Steve Gaynor. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Greg. Love uh, to be here. That's my intro. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I do a little bit of prep before everybody comes in, mm -hmm. and I did some prep and found almost nothing about you. Huh. Which means you're this really good law-abiding citizen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I knew you were in the printing business. What was the printing yeah. company you, you, you uh, uh, ran? B&D Litho. Where was that at? Well, it started out here in Phoenix on the west side. It was when I bought it, it was a little printing company specializing in business forms. Okay. And that was back in 1988 when I bought it. The company was founded in 1960. Okay. So I started there. And the company grew and grew and grew, uh, similar to, I think, your story in the knife business. Uh, we started out 11th out of 12 forms manufacturers in Phoenix. We ended up first, first in the whole Southwest, including L.A. and the whole surrounding area. Uh, L.A.'s big town, too. Yeah, L.A.'s a yeah. big town. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then I, got, I bought a plant in Denver, a business forms plant, and then I started a commercial printing plant in Los Angeles. Okay. And I sold the Phoenix and the Denver plants, so I, I still have a plant in L.A. You still have that going? I do. And you got a team running that? I do, yes. You got family involved with that? My two sons. Okay, my yeah. two sons. Okay, that's, oh, yeah. that's what you do. No, yeah, absolutely. And are you kind of retired now? Uh, I wouldn't call it that. Are you semi-retired? Because if you're going to be governor, you got to be semi-retired because it's a full-time job, oh, right? Oh, uh, yes. When you say retired, step away from the business, yes. Yeah. But, I mean, to me, being governor is not being retired. It's being... Oh, for sure. Fully employed. For sure. Yeah. Um, 
give us an idea like what's the driving force behind you wanting to do this you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen's got that line. It says, all men want to be rich and rich men want to be king. And the king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. Yeah. What's the drive behind you wanting to be governor? Yeah, you know, somebody said to me not too long ago, there are three things that drive people. or You can categorize people three ways. Some people affiliate. Some people want power. And some people want to achieve. Mm -hmm. Most people in politics are power driven. Yeah. That's not me. I'm achievement driven. I see a problem. I see a mess. I'm driven to fix it. And that's how I started out in business. I did turnarounds. I'd go into a company that was a mess, that was failing, and I had to figure out what the problem was and try to fix it. That, that's what I did for a while. And then when I bought that printing company, I thought it was functioning okay. It turned out not really. So I, I had a fix there too. And over the years, I've, I bought other printed companies that were a mess and I fixed them and it depends on what the situation was, but I'd bring them in to my company or I'd establish a separate operation. So I see what's going on in our country and it is such a mess. Everywhere you turn is a problem. And I just know I have the skills. I can't fix every problem, but I know I can attack them. And... And I feel like if good people don't come forward at this point in our history and work on those problems, we're going to lose it. And we've already started sliding. Yeah. Well, there's definitely always a battle going on. You know, I had a discussion with somebody yesterday and they were saying, hey, what do you think, Greg? You know, I'm like, I'm just some asshole out in Arizona. What are you talking about? What do I think? And I said, you know, in 1863, a quarter million of us or a million of us were in various states around the country, killing each other by the thousands. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how bad do you think it is right now? And they're yeah. like, okay, all right, they're like, all right. That's, yeah. But that's, you know, that's a, well, that, that's how far away do you are? How far away from that do you think we are? We're pretty far away from that. What we are in the middle of is for, you know, if dare, if dare I say guys like you and me who have, uh, you and I who have, done enterprises and grown enterprises and built enterprises mm -hmm. is not my first thing either there's a kind of a meritocracy to the way we think like what is good works what mm -hmm. is not good we the, get the rid die. of this yeah yeah and we see a country that is filled with the opposite of that mm -hmm. instead of meritocracy it's bureaucracy right right and um you know i've got you know i mean i know how to save the country i know how i know one program i could put together that would change the country for a hundred years and uh i when I, i'm talking to folks that are running for governor i'm talking to folks that want to be senators i'm talking to folks that are running for congress and i just want to poke around in the closet and kind of see you know what do they what do they want to bring um what do you see about arizona that you'd like to come in and specifically do for arizona because at the executive level of course we're tackling national national issues and state issues kind mm -hmm. of right it's yeah. an interesting someone asked me the other day would you rather be a senator or a governor i said governor absolutely and yeah. I said, why and i go well because you can tackle big issues and there's a you have a big voice as a governor especially in a border state with what's going on now right mm -hmm. and then you can also tackle all these community issues in your own state because you get to tinker around with the right. civic people right from the municipalities no. so tell us a little bit of you know kind of what's making you tick inside in Arizona, the great thing is that we, we have such opportunity here. We have such a tradition of freedom and open space, and, and our economic development is flourishing, but we also have these problems. And if we don't tackle the problems, it's going to bite us. Identify a couple of them for me. Yeah. Well, clearly what I call the near-term problems, let's start with the border. We all know. Sure. It's, it's unbelievable. I visited, I saw what's going on, hundreds of people coming across a day. Mm -hmm. What I said, uh, I've said a couple of times, the border patrol is acting like Uber. Mm -hmm. These folks come across the border and a lot of them, it's like they're on vacation. They're having a party there. Yeah. And then uh, they wait for border patrol to come pick them up, take them to the airport and they fly them wherever they're going. Yeah. The, you know, the picture that's painted is this mom from Salvador with her two kids who are just battling their way across the desert for a new life, being chased by drug lords. 
Yeah, not not quite that Not quite way. the case. You know, the interesting thing is uh, a number of these folks were not the poor Salvadoran. These were middle-class people. I, I asked them, Where are you, what are you doing? How, you know, what did you do in your life before you came here? Oh, I was a draftsman. I was a paralegal. Right. They, they were actually had some skill or some trade. They just want a better life. Yeah. And I don't blame them for that. Yeah. Because look, we're a country of immigrants. Yeah. And, and this place is effing awesome. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not? Right. And, uh, and, and the interesting thing was, except for the coyotes, no Mexicans. They were Venezuelan, and South Americans Cuban, moving through. Guatemala. Yeah. But right. Even Brazil. Yeah. yeah. They just want a better life. Okay. We have a process for that. Yeah. We have laws. Just follow them. Yeah. But then you had the other folks, and I, I'll never forget this. I came upon this group of 12 men, all mm, mid-20s to mid-30s. <laughs> and judging by the accent, they were Middle Eastern. And they, they spoke English, accented English. These were not friendly folks. And no women, no, and you can just tell by the demeanor that these people are not friends. Right. So here we are transporting these folks God knows where in our country. Yeah, we're going to bring them to L.A. or San yeah. Diego so we can right. give them a summons to show up in six months. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, or Westchester County. Like that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I go behind the wall, and there are all these passports and government IDs discarded behind the wall. Hmm. So you know they're not vetting these people because... Right, they've ditched their ideas. They're already trying to be subversive. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, listen. You know, uh, I in in some part, think about the clunkiness of getting a passport. Thinking about the clunkiness about yeah. the VA, and that's the same people who are in charge of. And I don't mean the Customs and Border Patrol. That's the same people processing immigration. Right. And our immigration process is so clunky slow bureaucratic and mm -hmm. uh, archaic and ineffective it's created this pressure to the border and then cbp who's supposed to be doing security they're now doing processing yes and, and so it's the our our incompetence our bureaucratic incompetence processing a thing that has to happen. We we actually have to have immigration. Yeah. If you look at our reproduction numbers just oh, yeah. as a species, sure. we kind of have to let people here. Yeah, and we need them. And it's part of our who we are as a people is to welcome folks, right? Right. So we have to do that. We just do it so badly. We've created this. We've created an economy for skirting and they're skirting the rules, and there's no repercussions. Yes, and when you talk about economy, these people are paying what one to five thousand dollars to the cartels. And they're coming over a million at a time. So you don't have to be a genius to do the math. The cartels are making big money, billions of dollars. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it's it's so ridiculous. My my father-in-law, when he was alive, he was uh, he went to the VA. So the kind of bureaucracy you're talking about there, you see it firsthand. Yeah. You struggle to get the least little problem taken care of, and it's pervasive in our government. This is something guys like you know you and I have probably noticed this. I mean, you take one thousand really good people. And let's say you could clone them. You have yeah. two groups. One, 1,000 here, 1,000 here of really good people. This one run by the government. This one run by a private enterprise. Right. This one will turn to shit over time. This one will do something interesting. Absolutely. Almost always. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's why you want government to do as, as little, little. little as possible. Right. Right. So um, uh, clearly the border is where we have kind of an intersectionality between local and national pressure yes. and yes. reality. What? Give, let's talk just about some Arizona stuff for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, One thing that drives me here is education. I have three kids. They all grew up here, all went to school here. Where'd they go to school? Uh it was a mix of public, private, charter, uh, and home. Okay. We did them all. All right. Depending upon the kid and the need at the time, uh, two of my kids went to Great Hearts. My two boys went to Brophy for high school. So it was, it was all across the board. Yeah. And, but I learned through that process that it's not easy here. And you look at where our K-12 schools are ranked in the country, it's not good. It, whether you believe the rankings or not, whether it's 47th or whatever it is, yeah. we're not competitive. Too many of our kids don't read well, don't do basic arithmetic well. And, and I'll tell you how I know. 
from personal experience. I operated that printing plant on the west side of Phoenix for about 20 years. Now, here's the scary part. When I started, people would come into our waiting room, and I, I was hiring every month because we were growing so quickly, and I would take someone at an entry-level position, and in four years, I'd make a pressman or a presswoman out of that person. And I'd take them from minimum wage all the way up to a living wage. And it was great. And we took people all the time. So we'd give them tests, basic arithmetic, yeah. reading a ruler. What's your baseline? Yeah, right. Mechanical, because I figure if you can't read a ruler coming in, uh, I don't want to make that investment in, right. in you. Right. So whatever the percentage was, it was a reasonable percentage of people who could actually read a ruler and do simple math. By the end of that 20-year period, hardly any of them could read a ruler. Yeah. Could use a ruler to measure a line. That's scary. You know, uh, Arizona's got a weird dynamic. We've got a quarter. We have a one quarter of this metropolitan area that schooling's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And it, it probably hits, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say 32nd Street. Mm-hmm. North and south mm-hmm. and east. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then it goes down to I'm going to say Lincoln, and it goes up all the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. That part, that area is very squared away. Very engaged parents. <laughs> lots of literacy. I've been in those schools a bunch and interacted with them. When you step outside of what I just said right there, you uh, you have lots of people where you know English is their second language. That's all mixed right in. I think that. There's no compensating for that. It's a, We have a challenging demographic here, that's for sure. It's challenging, but when you put kids that have English as a second language in a good school, they still achieve. Yeah. and They do. I, I, I was talking with somebody the other day, and we were, we were just talking about the Department of Education mm-hmm. and teachers' unions, and we were talking about what that's done to teaching mm-hmm. over the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but you know where it starts is having a monopoly. Right. You and I both know. Yeah. Anytime you have a monopoly, things go for crap. Right. Whether it's banking. Remember when the airline industry used to be regulated mm-hmm. and the banks are regulated? You take off the regulations, make them compete. All of a sudden, it's great. So I, to me, I think fundamentally the problem with education is that there's been a monopoly. Mm-hmm. And in Arizona, the good thing about education here is that we have a lot of charter schools. We have a tradition of of that, but not enough, right? Not enough because the waiting list to get into those charter schools are by the thousands. A lot of kids will never make it into a good school. Right. And I'll tell you, because I, until I started doing this, I didn't have a lot of contact with some of the other communities like the Hispanic community. Those parents are just as concerned. Mm -hmm. I have parents begging me our neighborhood school is terrible both of us work we don't have the ability to transport our kid to miles away to do yeah. this but but they're they know their kids are not getting good education right and the problem is that the public school system is not adaptive or accountable enough to actually respond to the community right so they are just one one plan one way. Like any monopoly. Yeah. We'll give you what we feel like giving you. Right. And if you don't like it, tough. Right. It's a post office. Right. Right. Um, so what do what do we do? What I mean, so obviously that's a concern of yours and mm-hmm. uh and, and t- you have any kind of action plan yeah. to put together? Yeah, my answer is make a free market in education just like every other part of our country that works well. How do we do that? The, the way property taxes are currently set up mm-hmm. to fund schooling, the mm-hmm. teachers' unions, and the kind of grip that they've got on everyone's consciousness. How, right. do, how do you do that? Right. So there's a short-term, there's a short-term mm-hmm. approach and then a longer term. The short-term is uh, right now charter schools don't, aren't paid as much per student as public schools. There's a real gap, and that's part of the reason why charter schools struggle. They struggle with physical plant because... With the public schools, they get capital allocations for buildings. The charter schools don't. Increase what we pay to the charter schools. Make it so that private in, private um, financing is workable for them. So they, they get to a position where if they're successful, they can attract private financing for plant, for buildings. And, and then the long term is 
we have to start with a blank sheet of paper and look at school funding from the get-go. The system was designed a long time ago in a different era when Arizona was a different place. And your, you know, school finance is a problem here. Some communities pass bond issues and the schools get more. Other places they're voted down because people don't trust them or they just think it's not a good use of money. And so you have some communities that are well-funded and right next door, you have a community that's not. Yeah. They start stealing teachers and it's it, it's a mess. I've got this going on in Cave Creek because I live up in Cave Creek. And uh, Cave Creek's got this beautiful multi, multi-million dollar facility. It's a beautiful high school that you drive up to. Oh, this place must be doing well. And you look in the parking lot and in the student parking lot, last time I counted, there were a couple of Porsches. And there's, I mean, it's... It is a well-heeled district, okay? And yeah. I see everybody lined up as we're all driving in. Every third truck's a Ford Raptor. If it's mm -hmm. not a Ford Raptor, it's one of those, uh, it's one of the Ram cup competitors. I forget what it's called. Um, you know, it, there'll be multiple Porsches driving through the parking lots. Mercedes, I mean, it is a well-heeled area, mm -hmm. and the school's broke. Really? Yeah. And I, I think they went to do some bond initiative, and it got turned down mm -hmm. because people don't trust the government right. borrowing money and doing stuff. Right. So right. <laughs> I'm in the middle of, hey, why isn't there a French teacher who can teach this class so my daughter can get her international baccalaureate degree here? Mm -hmm. what, what, why? <laughs> and they don't have the money. Right. Right. And that's, so now you have a failing monopoly. Yeah. Right. Right. So I say, take the wraps off the free market and really have competition. Can that be done at the state level? Can we break through that, or is it so nationally entrenched there's nothing we can do? No, I think we can. We, we already have to a degree. 20% of all Arizona students, go K-12, yeah, go to non-public. Yeah. So why not more? You know, I've heard some of my competitors talking about taking on the teachers' union. To me, that's a, you know, when you're trying to get something done, you pick your battles because battles are time consuming. That's a lose lose. Yeah, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't see anyone. I, no, I don't. I don't want to do that. I think the only way to to go at the union is to make them irrelevant. Create a path for success. Focus on that. Right. Let the good schools flourish. They're going to attract customers. It's like any business, yeah, right? Right. So you and and you see some of the charters doing this. Great Hearts basis. Yeah. They're they're very yeah, successful. Phenomenal. Right, but it's not one size fits all. You do have a problem in rural areas because you don't have enough students for a tremendous amount of competition. But I'll tell you something. My father-in-law grew up in Vermont, and he went to a one-room schoolhouse, mm -hmm. K to 12. Yep. And he got a great education, better than a lot of kids do today. So there are, there are creative answers. You know, it's so funny you say that because uh, you met Amy when you were coming through the building. Yeah. You know, obviously my partner in this whole thing. Uh -huh. uh, her dad went to a one-room schoolhouse in Iowa as a farm boy. Uh -huh. Fortune 500 CEO, you know, ended up mm -hmm. out here because uh, they lived next to the airport where they kept the Gulf Stream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he, he same thing, you yeah. know, but titan of industry. I think his last year in business, he said he had 35,000 employees and a billion in revenue, okay? Not bad. One-room schoolhouse. Right. And and so uh, work, accountability, yes, and uh, fundamentals. You have, and my, my father-in-law told me that he had a great teacher in that one-room schoolhouse. Mm -hmm. And you have a great teacher. It makes an impact on your life. Yeah. But in those days, you didn't have the internet. You couldn't just look up any piece of information you wanted. Today, with the resources you have at your fingertips, plus put a great teacher in that schoolhouse, yeah. you, you get great results. I, I feel like, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I had a... I had a pretty hard-headed run at the principal of my daughter's high school, and uh, they didn't want me to get to her. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, listen, you're not solving my problem. I'm done with you. Mm -hmm. When can I meet with her? Oh, yeah. Yes, meet with her. I'm going to put a full-page ad in the paper. So, well, you know, yeah. I'm like, you broke through. Oh, I got a meeting with her. She was really nice, completely ineffective. Uh, I could tell wasn't a leader, had zero accountability. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, you, you, it, my daughter, if she's late to seven days, you're gonna she fails this semester automatically mm. now that's strict and i'm cool with it i was like yeah i, I get it you know it's a lot yeah. a lot of cats to herd in every day and get them there by yeah. eight o'clock or whatever right yeah. um i said you know that's pretty strict i'm cool with that why is it a teacher can miss 30 <laughs> right i said what's good for the goose is good for the gander are you the boss around here or not mm -hmm. who is in charge no but the answer is no 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 they're not no she's in charge of the paper we had the same thing at Chaparral when my daughter was a student there. The administration is not in charge of the school. Right. 
They're just not. Right. The teachers run the school. So you have the same thing in Washington, D.C. You have a, a group of people who pretty much are insulated from accountability and being terminated. Yes. And, you know, that's the ultimate accountability, right? As a business Absolutely. owner, I get yeah. terminated by customers all the time. Yeah. I say something they don't like, they terminate me. But there's accountability. Um, if I do something, I, I see the numbers. The numbers change, mm -hmm. you know, as I'm tracking. Mm -hmm. There's no accountability in our culture. I think it's the number one thing that's missing from everything. There's no accountability for the news lying. There's no accountability for politicians stealing. Mm -hmm. um, there's no... Anybody in this country would go to jail for insider trading, and there are 435 mm -hmm. members of Congress who inside trade. I know. And there's no accountability. When is the last time, you know, the last politician I heard going to jail was like Rob Blagojevich out of yeah. Chicago, right? Right. There's no accountability. So I think it's probably the most important thing. It's one of the, and, and you know, what is accountability? It's a component of law and order. Mm -hmm. And we seem to have abandoned law and order as a culture. Oh, we have. I know. Uh, not something you're going to see me abandon because I've been places where there's real chaos and we don't want that here. You know, you're a well-spoken, you got a soft voice, easy demeanor about you. You've run successful enterprises and it's hard to get in there and see what's going on inside of you. I don't know. I don't... So let me ask. Go Where'd ahead. you grow up? New York. Where in New York? Uh, I was born in the Bronx. I grew up in White Plains. Okay. I, uh, I, I, I grew up in an area that was pretty calm, but I went to schools that were not. So okay. My junior high school was very mixed on the wrong side of town. It was a tough, tough place. Were you bust, or is it just because of where you were? Oh, I was bust. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, was it a? It was an integration play on a, a, a New York. White Plains was actually one of the first places in the country to have forced busing. Right. So you were part of that experiment. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, as a kid at the time, I didn't know. Didn't know any One way. Yeah, right, right, that, right. that was the school I was yeah, going to. Along for the ride. It was a great education. It okay. was tough. You had, a, you had a fight to keep your lunch money. Okay. Yeah. That, that's a hell of an education. Oh, People it is. don't realize, like, in some ways, that might be better than geography. Oh, no, I, I agree with that. Because it'll make you a hungry dude, like, you know, how to protect your family. Through, absolutely, and you, know. you find out who your friends are. Oh, yeah. Really and how to read people. Uh-huh, and, <laughs> and who's going to fight with you and who's going to back away. I mean, amazingly powerful skills that your typical MBA that grew up in uh, uh, North Scottsdale wouldn't have. That's, uh, that's the first place I started carrying a knife. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, no, it was against the rules, carry a knife. Uh, and especially a switchblade, and that's when I started. <laughs> oh my god, that is so quintessential New York. So, yeah. uh, how long were you in New York for? When did you leave? Uh, eighteen. When you're eighteen. Yeah, I went to Philadelphia. Uh, went to undergraduate there. Where'd you go to school? I went to Swarthmore. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, a small liberal arts school. You know Swarthmore? Uh -huh. Yeah, most people. Know. I went to Gettysburg. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of the Quaker schools. Yep. Not an entirely comfortable experience for me. <laughs> I didn't realize how liberal it was, and I didn't realize how much of a fish out of water I'd be. So I ended up taking business courses at Wharton. There was an exchange program yeah. at Swarthmore oh, and okay. Pence. All right, cool. Yeah, and, uh, and so I ended up with a psych major. Actually, I was pre-med in college. I thought I was going to be a doctor. Me too. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then my sophomore year, I worked in a hospital for a while, and, and in the, uh, I was an operating room orderly, which okay. was fascinating. Sure. Yeah. I saw well, the first operation I saw was a cesarean section. Oh, boy. And I'm looking, and I couldn't get a real good view. And the doctor said, is he going to faint? And I said, no, no, I'm fine. I'm just trying to see what's going on. So anyway, what I learned through that experience was I didn't want to be a doctor. <laughs> sure. It, it, was, it was the... The fact that it was the same stuff over and over, you know, right. I liked orthopedics, but if all you're going to do is knees for the rest of your life, I, I, that wasn't. That's so funny. I liked orthopedics too. Yeah. It just yeah. wasn't for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked orthopedics because they had a toolbox. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> you get to use drills. Right. So, um, tell me about your parents. Yeah. Um, they were first generation Americans. From where? Uh, my, on one side, my Grandparents were from Russia. On the other side, my grandfather was Austria, and my grandmother Hungary. Uh, my maternal grandfather was the person I was closest to in life. And where was he from? Austria. Okay. He he was 16 
it was World War One going on. Yeah. Uh, he decided to leave home. He was the second oldest. He walked across Europe in the dead of winter, went to Amsterdam, and got on a ship. And uh, make a long story short, he ended up staying in Brazil for five years because he couldn't get into the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he finally did. Uh, and he, he made a tremendous sacrifice to do what he did. That's the reason I was able to live the American dream, because he persisted. He ended up, he, he learned, he was so multilingual, German, Polish, crazy languages, and, and, and uh, Portuguese. You know, it's funny you say that. My grandfather was born in 1902. Uh -huh. That's my mom, my maternal grandfather. He came here during World War I. He was 14 years old, came here by himself, mm -hmm. came into Ellis Island. I just got it copy of his the page he signed oh yeah got i got here. the same from mine and, uh he came and they were sinking u-boats he didn't speak english u-boats uh, were sinking uh all kinds of stuff going through mediterranean 14 years old came to the united states by himself mm -hmm. started to peddle fruit and vegetables in boston came mm -hmm. in through ellis island mm -hmm. and if he hadn't done that i wouldn't be here either right yeah <laughs> and, yeah and you think about honestly the audacity and balls and desperation that must have been behind right a 14 year old and you know a mom letting your 14 year old go across yeah <laughs> right crazy right yeah and they 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 had courage back then that we ne there's no courage like that i mean it's no. hard to find you got to look to find courage now mm -hmm. 14 year olds had courage in 1915 right. right yeah well i started working when i was 13 which looking back on his great experience yeah i mean just the simple stuff like slinging newspapers and uh shoveling snow and mowing lawns but i didn't get nobody gave me any money yeah there was no allowance <laughs> right 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 i just needed money so i went to work yeah and uh today it doesn't it's really a bad thing for our society that our kids don't work right it's bad it's soft yeah it's it's very soft so uh uh you were hard were you hard on your kids uh I don't know if I'd say hard, but they didn't grow up with a lot. Okay. Uh, and and for me, it was a struggle. So, you know, in business, if business does well, you get more successful. You get more money. And then you have to think about how are you going to live and how what's that going to do to your kids? Yeah. But my son, uh, one of my sons, 28, he said to me the other day, I'm really glad we didn't grow up with a lot because it, it, it gave me a sense of perspective about what's important there's something to be said about um the human condition seems to be better when we're hungry right and i mean hungry in every sense of the word mm -hmm. almost except maybe love it's not it's good to not be hungry for love it's good to have love mm -hmm. but everything else to be hungry i think is really good yeah hungry for largesse you know it's you know it's funny i'm i'm at the age and point of my career where i kind of do whatever i want i, I get whatever i want and I was looking back, doing some vintage photo shoots of toys from my youth. Mm -hmm. And my friends always had the coolest toys. And <laughs> my parents never blew money on stuff like that. Right. So I always had this kind of minimalism. And, and they, it's funny. They have jobs and I have this creative career. Mm -hmm. Because I had to kind of find a way to entertain myself and it wasn't going to be with trinkets. Right. So it's interesting to see what's happened. I always felt like I kind of got the short end of the stick mm -hmm. so it makes you hungry to go out and do stuff and then how do you how do you handle your kids or pass that on with them once because my kids growing up a lot differently than i grew up yeah so well, how, how do you try to impart that you know i was really fortunate my wife and i are very similar we grew up the same way not, where, where's she from she's from tucson she grew up in tucson uh we met at business school did she go to, where'd you go to Wharton for business school or where'd you go? Harvard. Went to Harvard? Yeah. All right. Yeah. She went to U of A and we, we met there. She didn't want to go out with me and she didn't want to go out with me. And I finally prevailed. And, uh, that was 42 years ago. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. But we grew up the same way without a lot of money. And so when the kids were growing up, they said, you know, I want that toy. Yeah. You, you want to pay for it? No. Oh, no. Okay. Then you're not getting it. Yeah. Um, so does your wife do anything professionally? She's a CPA and okay. she's a Harvard MBA. Yeah. Uh, she handles 
the real estate side of what we do. Uh, and she is involved in the printing business. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Nice to have a, uh, a second gun in the house, especially for serious stuff. Uh, she's a big gun. Oh yeah. Yeah. I bet. I oh bet. yeah. Yeah. We've been through a, a few scraps and she's, yeah, she's good at it. So, uh, you you've got this, you see problems and you want to go in and fix them. Um, have you thought about, you know, we're less than a year out now from this, from the primary mm -hmm. election shortly thereafter. Um, do you have a team coming together of who you want to have around you? Do you have any folks that have some inner workings? Or are you going to kind of tell me about your battle plan a little bit? Yeah. I have some people with me that I would bring in, but I would also want to do a national search for some of the folks that I'd want to bring in. So, for example, in education, there are people nationally that are that have done this before. And I don't know that I'll necessarily find everything I'd want in Arizona, but that's okay. Uh, so there, there's school finance issues. There, there are school district issues. You know, here's an example. The school districts in Arizona have, were established many, many, many years ago. I don't think they fit what we have today very well. Some of them are too large, some too small, economically not efficient. There's a lot of waste. I mean, that's... I don't think anybody will disagree with that. Yeah. We're spending a lot of money on administration in school districts that could be better spent in the classroom. So it's going to be a mix. Folks I know here and folks that I want to source outside. And I have some ideas, but you know, until you get in that position, you're not going to spend a lot of time on it. I, uh, I uh, think about this equation all the time, uh, almost like it's a closed cell. You've got this money to accomplish this task. Mm -hmm. And... It forces you to be creative and it forces you to um, not just... The answer is always for them more money. Yes. It drives me crazy. And it and the problem is like in my business, what I have found, the answer is almost... It is rarely more money. more money. More money is easy. But... Yes, but it's if, sloppy. If you can get it, it doesn't mean you've gotten more efficient. It doesn't mean you got better. It just means you've thrown some energy... And, and you're going to right. get some energy on the, is it going to be the same? And what I see with the public school system, national teachers unions, uh, department of education is throw more money outcome, same or less always. Mm -hmm. right. And you don't have to guess it's a track record. No. Yeah. And so I look at it and I go, and you, you know, the money that they have for infrastructure, the money that they have in their administration buildings in each district, uh, is, the problem money or is it accountability? And they would say, well, we're doing a great job. We're dedicated. Mm -hmm. It's money. Yeah, but it's never that. And I would look at it and go, there is so much money. It is accountability that's the problem. They can't fire. So I would give you an example. I was talking to this principal and I said, why don't we have another French teacher? And she said, well, no one's qualified. And I said, well, what if I bring you three native French speakers who can run off a syllabus and teach French. Mm -hmm. They said, well, they're not qualified. They're not board certified by the state. So what they've done is they've created a certification monopoly. Mm -hmm. There's no exceptions. And right now we're in employment reality paradigm oh, that is yeah. different. And so they, they, there are no teachers who are qualified and certified. By their standards. By their standards. Right. If I said, you have to have a paper signed by me and it's got to be in magenta. Right. Nobody's qualified. Of course. It protect, it's a, it's right. a secondary monopoly. Right. No, I know. But to your point about waste, when I ran for Secretary of State in 2018, the state was on the verge of buying uh, like a $9 million piece of software to do voter registration and track voters and all this. Awesome. Yeah, it was. It just, just a beautiful use of money. So I said, uh, I found out that Maricopa County and Pima County had their own software. So only the 13 small counties were going to use it. Awesome. I said, look, why don't you get Maricopa County or Pima to license their software to the state or the other way around or everybody get on the same software and Maricopa County has a staff of uh, software engineers and Pima does. It's such a waste. Horrible. Right, so why don't, why don't you make one piece of software? And then everybody can share it. Everybody's on the same page. It's easy. And you bet you can bet if I had been Secretary of State, I never would have spent that nine million dollars. And the money got spent. Oh, sure it did. 
Right. And it was probably spent by Katie Hobbs. Yeah. It was. And it's part of what tallied the election in uh for for the 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 the, the uh, 2020 election, right? No, no. It was it's not used for tallying anything. The tallies get done at the county level. This is just for registration. This oh, okay, is just okay. For voter. Okay. That's yeah. the voter rolls. Right. That's just yeah. So, but I don't think Hobbs ever gave a second thought to not spending the money. Right. Because that's not the well, paradigm. It's, it's only $9 million. Yeah. Well, you know, in a state budget, it's dropping a bucket, right? That's the way they think because they've never earned a million dollars. Right. Or invested a million dollars. Right. 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 But I, I look at that and say, what are we getting out of that $9 million? That's what we're getting? No way. Not doing it. Gotta totally, totally different animal. Right. Got to find a different way. Yeah. Do you go to church? Synagogue. You synagogue? Oh, you're Jewish. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And your boys, uh, you have, did you say you had a daughter as well? Two, I do. Two sons and a daughter? I do. And are they all practicing? Or uh -huh. you, uh, I don't know if you're comfortable talking about yeah. that, but I thought yeah. I'd ask. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and uh, uh, Paradise Valley, you guys are active over there. I know I grew up in Paradise Valley, so a huge mm -hmm. Jewish community there, obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, your wife, she was Jewish also? She converted. She converted. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Well, um, tell me about how the battle is going right now. We're... You know, it's starting to heat up, right? Right. How, how's it going for you? It's going fine, but I'll be honest. K, um, Carrie Lake mm -hmm. is in the lead. Uh, if you if you look at the polls, she's she's in the lead, and the three of us are back. And and she's in the lead for two reasons. She has name ID, face ID, and she was endorsed by Trump, President Trump. So that's that means something to the electorate. I don't think people have really looked closely at her, but I don't discount the fact that she has an advantage or two. It's powerful. Yeah, yeah. it is. Because a guy like you or a guy like me comes rolling in, because, you know, I've been approached to run for governor, and I've said, i got to spend five, six million dollars to have anybody know my name. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's to get started. Right. You know, and, and she walks in, and she may not have the she may not have the financial clout but she's instantly got the name which is worth millions of dollars no I mean, question it's a it's a it's a real estate play almost yeah <laughs> that's right and so <coughs> excuse me um so what's your plan now is your war chest big enough to get you that name recognition to make a run at it yeah i think so but it's not just name id i mean i think people have to take a closer look at her and her qualifications to do the job because the people are convinced if they know her and President Trump endorsed her and they, they think she could do a good job, well, that kind of says it all right there. Frankly, I, I don't think so. She seems like a nice, nice enough person. I don't know her personally, but mm -hmm. just based on her background and experience, mm -hmm. would I hire somebody who had her background and experience to be the head of state, to be the CEO of the state? No, I, I wouldn't. Because I've hired hundreds of people. I know you've hired a lot of people. So you look for experience. Right. And, uh, you know, and I was thinking about this yesterday because we have a hiring situation in my company. One of the hardest jumps to make is from a position that has functional competence, like a production manager, to mm -hmm. a general manager. Mm -hmm. That's what, in my opinion, that's one of the toughest jumps to make because to be a generalist you have to have knowledge of so many different disciplines yeah have such breadth of knowledge and also leadership issues that it's tough to find oh yeah so in, in business it's tough to find you're talking about an organization that has thirty-two thousand employees a budget of over 14 billion dollars that's that's not a simple task right right um you know, even we, we even get guys in like Doug Ducey who have clearly a business acumen and background, and I feel borderline incompetency in, incompetency in the position um, because they don't understand the power of it. They don't have the courage or audacity to use it, mm -hmm. and uh, they're not willing to interact with the other branches of government that can enact so much change because, mm -hmm. you know, leadership the way our government's layered is about cooperation. Yes. And it's about alliance building. And that's trying to find a place where it served the most people, right? I mean, it's a piece of genius architecture. It if is. If you think about it. Yes. 
people always say, well, I would do differently. I go, oh yeah, what would you do different? What would you do differently? Yeah. <laughs> I would do this, I would do that. Oh, okay, well, here's what would happen. Boom, 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 boom. They go, all right, maybe I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a pretty amazing ecosystem that yes. the founders just conjured up. It, it's amazing. <laughs> if you follow the discipline of it, what drives me crazy when you look at the federal level, at the way the legislative branch has given up its authority to the executive, yeah, and the executives make a mess of it. That, that that's really to me very problematic because they don't want accountability. No, because they don't right. want to raise their hand for real stuff. All they do is vote on naming roads and buildings mm-hmm. and total bullshit most of the time. Yeah, it's fascinating. So at least we had a court that would say no, the executive can't use OSHA. To make a vaccine mandate right if not for the court we that's what we would have ended up with it would be tyranny by osha right so to me one of the big issues in our whole society is if we could get a constitutional amendment to have a balanced budget at the federal level oh man i've talked about that a million times that to me is one of the keys to our longevity because if we don't have something like that you know we were talking about discipline on politicians if we they've shown over a long period of time, they cannot discipline themselves. Yeah. If we could have that thing, if there was one thing that I could change, if there's one thing I could do, it'd be that. Democrats and Republicans are completely uncoupled from fiscal reality right now. Mm-hmm. Both sides. Both sides. And uh, so nobody's got any credibility and nobody's proposing any change. No. No, they're not even focused on it. And yet, that, you know, it's like we have this looming X hanging over our heads that nobody is even recognizing or paying any attention to. It's a nuclear bomb, and there's a bunch of people throwing baseballs at the button, Mm -hmm. and they just haven't hit the button yet. Because what happens, you know, I talk to people all the time about as if the U.S. dollar does not maintain its hold as the kind of global default currency. Right, the reserve. You know, it, 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 it gives us sway for the for the right it, for for uh, justice for freedom yes but not only that our standard of living would go down in a heartbeat yeah. if the dollar was not the reserve currency and yeah people don't realize that and the congress is not paying attention nobody's paying attention the globalists want it oh yeah they want to crush the dollar oh, they yeah. want us all on on cards and phones yeah and so did you see the other day the saudis are going to start taking chinese yuan for oil for oil yeah, yeah what does that tell you it's ha- it, they're, it, they're it's, trying they're it out trying it now yeah um i feel like uh well i mean the 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 big national issue obviously is education and border mm-hmm. that, that the governor of arizona can have big press mm-hmm. uh Add big pressure to and get nationally. Yeah, nationally. No question. But you, you would hear me yelling about the budget. You would because I'm looking at this from that position. Yeah. I'm responsible for my kids and everybody else's kids' future. And if we don't address that problem, if we have a $30 trillion debt and nobody's paying attention, yeah, it's going to sneak up on us and, and it's going to make absolute havoc in our society. So- Yes, I, I agree with you, education and, and uh, border, uh, but the fiscal health of our country is really important, and yeah. it's it's at risk right now. Okay, um, you're clearly not a firebrand. You've got some uh, issues you want to jump onto uh, that are absolutely critical, um, yep. the border, education, yep. fiscal responsibility. Law, um, law enforcement. Law enforcement. A- absolutely. Yeah. We're tremendously understaffed. Phoenix the Police Department, I think, is in crisis right now. Nobody's talking about it. We're so understaffed. If you look at, at the staffing of the Phoenix Police Department versus the staffing levels of every other major city of our size here, mm-hmm. we're way, way under. We always have been, but now it's even worse because we're losing net probably 20 a month. Right. And it's going to become... Uh, a critical issue and the city of phoenix is acting like it's nothing's going on no it's crazy uh the gals in charge are nuts and the the problem is you can't just run an ad and hire 300 people it's months of training and it's years of experience mm-hmm. and when a, a force shrinks by a hundred it's it, it it's hard to recover yeah it's well it's hundreds of years of experience right <laughs> 
Right, right. It might be three, four hundred years of, five hundred years of experience. Right. When you lose a hundred people, that's the other thing. Right, right. And and you you can't get that back. You know, the I don't think people really the people in charge really understand that. You do, I do. You know, a train. Think about how long it takes to train somebody to do a skilled position. This is, Donald Trump said it right. You know, he said he said a lot of things crazy, and he said a lot of things that were so inflammatory it annoyed people. It annoyed mommies for sure. He, but he said the people running are stupid, mm-hmm. and they've got degrees from the best universities, but they're stupid. They're uncoupled from experiential reality and empiricism they're uncoupled it's yeah. crazy that's because they didn't start out mowing lawns and shoveling snow right you right know? Because... We, we do have an entitled ruling class and we used to have a working ruling class very different that's right yeah yeah well um uh where can people go to donate to your campaign it's gainer for governor.com g-a-y-n-o-r-f-o-r governor.com.com gainer for governor.com yeah um uh, what do you, what's the big push you're going to do to get your recognition out there at this point? We're in the, you know, we are, it is heating up and it's getting ready for the big race, right? Right. It is. And are you uh, in polls? Are you sitting at number three right now? Where, where are you sitting in polls? The fact is that Salmon and Robeson and, and myself are all bunched together. Okay. Right. All, all here. Lake is here. Uh, nobody has really, has really questioned her what her her qualifications to do the job right uh that's gonna happen and and i've been up on tv i've run a a bunch of tv ads on fox uh, and other places and so you'll see more of that as time goes on okay yeah mass media is the way to go uh and doing shows like yours yeah it it helps people get a better understanding of who the candidates are and i really think you've done a great service by by doing this thank you have you uh do you do anything on instagram or any social media stuff uh facebook facebook yeah okay yeah you got you got a uh do you have a campaign social media director yeah we do okay good all right cool well absolute pleasure meeting you same Um, here i think didn't you speak at uh one of charlie kirk's things last year yeah uh when trump was coming to town Mm -hmm. yeah i did yeah that's the first time i heard you speak that was the first time i kind of met you there i was sitting in the front and then um and then this time. So pleasure having you in. I hope Thanks. as we get a little further through the process, things are going to heat up a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. If you've got something you want to grind about or, or uh, just, you know, uh, uh, it's interesting for me now, having been through a few cycles, to watch how people evolve through the candidacy, the run, mm-hmm. and uh, getting close to how people evolve and how their style evolves. Yeah. It's uh, curious to me to find that. Yeah, observe that. So I'd love to have you come back at some point in the future. Sure, I'd love to. Well, I hope you had fun coming in, and I appreciate oh. you spending the time sitting down and talking with us. Yeah, no, I did. I'd love seeing your factory. Oh, great. Yeah, what a great what a great operation. Well, listen, we wish you all the best of luck, and uh, of course, uh, God bless the country and our state, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, sports fans, Greg Medford from the Greg Medford Show here in Phoenix, Arizona. Thanks for stopping in and saying hi. Get out and vote. Unless you're stupid or a Democrat, in which case, find something else to do that day. Maybe go (laughs) smoke some pot with some of your ding-dong friends.